with the ninth that's found in verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now here is another of those commands that we may think does not apply to us because after all, we're not liars, or at least so we think. But there are more ways for us to lie or shade the truth or exaggerate and so on than we realize until we think about it. And we together will think about it, especially next week as I do part two on this particular commandment. I read a statistic that found that 63% of people who had called in sick at work really were not sick. Most of us wouldn't even consider that lying. Come on, everybody, everybody does it. Some are very creative at their lying. One guy didn't want to out and out lie when he called in sick, and so he and his wife concocted a way to lie truthfully. They put his food on a plate, and he would lay down and then toss it up in the air from the plate, and then she would call in and say he won't be in, he just threw up his breakfast. Now, I'm told that Ken and Emily stopped doing that at uh, some point. Now, as I said, we'll see more on that kind of lying next week, as I'm going to devote two weeks to this topic. Today, we're going to see the foundation for this command against false representations, against speaking falsely, and we'll see some examples, I warn you, from the realm of politics, and next week... We'll see examples from interpersonal relationships. So let's bow and ask God to help us as we look at this. Our Father, we're thankful to you that we're here because we're here because of you. Lord, we're here because of you because you direct our lives in your providence. All of the secondary and tertiary causes that affect us and our ability to do what we do, you have caused all of those to conspire so that we can be here. Lord, your Holy Spirit gives us the desire to be here, to praise you and to learn of you. And so we're here because of you, and ultimately we're here for you. We want to learn about better who you are and what your character is like so that we can emulate that in our lives. Help us then to be attentive to this issue of the fact that you are truth and therefore we are to be people of truth in all that we say and do. And may we better leave this place, better to bring glory to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, every week we have inserted for you in your program an outline, so if you don't have that out as yet, please take a look at that. The first point that I have there is this, that truth is foundational to life. All of the Ten Commandments are reflections of the character of God. Truth is God's nature, and therefore he commands us to be truthful as a reflection of who he is. And on a practical level, without truth, life as we know it would be impossible. Think about it. If we could not trust what God says, then life would be absurd because we'd never know what we're to do because God may be lying to us. If you think about the first man and the first woman, God gave them instructions regarding what they were to do. But suppose God said later, I didn't say that. Humanity would be lost without the foundation of truth that begins with God because it's part of his nature. 
And so thankfully, God cannot lie. The Bible says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And of course, the expected answer to those is no. In your New Testament, in the book of Titus, it says straight out, God does not lie. So because of that, we could define truth this way. Truth is what God would say about any state of affairs. If God would say this is what's accurate about this particular circumstance, about this particular set of events, then that's truth. God defines truth. God is truth. He cannot lie. And so truth is what God would say about any state of affairs. Conversely, if we say anything, or if we represent anything that is not the way God would represent that state of affairs, then in some form we are lying. If we assert, if what we assert is not what God could say, then it's untrue. And humanity's ability to communicate is part of the image of God in us so that we can both receive and communicate truth as God does. And this God-given ability to communicate means this, friends, that our words are sacred. Our words are sacred, set apart. They matter. They matter greatly. They matter greatly to God. As a matter of fact, every word we speak matters. Jesus said this, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And chief among the criteria for whether we're using our tongues in a God-honoring way is whether or not our words are true. We need this command and to be regularly reminded of it because we all have a tendency to falsehood. Most of you know that God made his world originally to be one of truth, but sin introduced falsehood. Specifically, the devil introduced falsehood. His first words to humanity in the Garden of Eden were spoken in the interest of lying. He inserted doubt into the truthful words that God had spoken to the first human couple, Adam and Eve, by asking Eve whether God really said what he in fact had said. And that's why Jesus said of the devil, The devil does not hold to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And when we lie then, in whatever form that lying takes, we will see a number of those forms, some today, but more next week. When we lie in whatever form, we're following then Satan and not God. And we do struggle with lying. And we do with the use of our tongues in general. And that's why when the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of the throne of God, And the thrice holy God in Isaiah chapter 6, his response to being in the presence of that holy God was to say, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Now why? Why woe to me in the presence of a holy God? Why am I ruined? Because for I am a man, notice, of unclean lips. He focuses on speaking. He focuses on words. As the thing 
that in particular and most obviously shows that we are not holy. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. So truth is foundational to life, but falsehood is a reality for all of us due to the sin that remains in all of us. Truth is foundational to life, but I say in your outline as well, truth is required by love. There's a connection between this ninth command against bearing false witness and the third command in verse 7 that we saw several weeks ago, which prohibits misusing God's name. Some of you know that the Ten Commandments are actually listed in two places. We've been looking for these many weeks at Exodus chapter 20, but you find this list repeated in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And though in English, the ninth command in both places appears the same, Deuteronomy 5.20 says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The Hebrew word for false in that verse is a very different one from that used in Exodus chapter 20. The word translated false in Deuteronomy 5 is the same one that's translated misuse in the third commandment against misusing God's name. The third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, protects the name of God, and the ninth commandment protects the name of people. In either case, we're not to speak of God or others with frivolous or worthless words. That's what misusing God's name is. That's what speaking falsely is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So truth is required by love. And it requires a couple of things. Does this love them? I say in the outline, it requires truth about others. It requires truth about others. Now, the primary setting for this command against bearing false witness is a courtroom where you're acting as a witness in a legal proceeding. Deuteronomy chapter 19 has a lot to say about this issue of witnesses in a courtroom. I have about five verses from Deuteronomy chapter 19 that speak of that. Too many to put on the screen, so I'm just going to read those for you. This is Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 to 21. Deuteronomy 19, 16 to 21. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priest and the judges who are in office at that time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against the fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. And the rest of the people will fear of this, or hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. God says, show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Does God take truth seriously? But even though it is in the immediate context about a courtroom setting, its application and its implications extend much further than that. An 18th century Old Testament scholar said this about the Ninth Commandment. This applies not only to false witness in a court, 
But false statements in common discourse, false promises, whether deliberate or careless, exaggerations, and high colorings of facts, equivocation in deceit by word or sign, hypocritical professions and compliments together with slandering, backbiting, tail-bearing, circulating malicious reports, imputing evil designs to others, making injurious representation without sufficient proof. These are all direct infractions of the spirit of this command. So this command requires we speak truth about others when we refer to them in the presence of yet others. And that we not embellish or obscure the truth about them in any negative way. Remember that this command is on the second tablet of stone that has to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. The first tablet has to do with commands related to loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And as part of that love, the guys just reminded me that this is supposed to go on my ear. I had taken it off when we had had the trouble earlier. I didn't put it back on. It's kind of been hanging here. You've been picking up fragments of sound from it. And now I have it securely in place. Thank you. But I'm going to start over. So you have the one tablet of stone related to loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. The second tablet, loving your neighbors yourself. And this command against bearing false witness is on that second tablet about loving our neighbor. And it includes more than just an outright false statement. It's putting a slant, a spin that paints another in an unflattering way. So, as I say, say more about that kind of thing next week. Just here's one illustration of that that I've seen a number of times over the years. When someone's recounting a story to you about something someone else said, and they don't like what they said, and so they embellish not just what they said, but how they said it. Well, they said, and then there's the physical bob of the head, and then there's kind of the snippy tone. And more than once I've said, so did they bob their head that way? And did they really have that kind of tone? Because look, you're misrepresenting if that's not really really what happened. So love requires we speak truth about others. And I say in the outline, it requires truth to others. We need to tell the truth about others, but we also need to tell the truth to others. Being silent in the face of spiritual danger is a failure to love someone. As you hear me say, often love is doing what is in the best interests of another. So if we see someone sinning or moving in an unwise direction, love should dictate that we do the hard thing and speak truth to them. We've all heard the phrase used in several places in Scripture that love covers a multitude of sins. But there's this passage that I'm going to show in just a moment at the end of James chapter 5 that uses that phrase, covering a multitude of sins but shows in particular a way that love can be demonstrated. And it says this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and 
cover over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins and love looks like that. It looks like doing that for someone. But of course, when we speak truth to someone else, it must always be with the right motivation, which is the well-being of the person motivated by our love for them. And that's why Paul warned us that we are to speak the truth. Yes, but speak the truth in love. So if you don't love people, don't confront them. If you don't love that person, then don't bother confronting them and make sure That you've shown your love to that person so that they should listen to you, even if it turns out they don't. You can't control that, but you can control whether you've ministered to that person in a way that they should listen. Now, every time I say this, that we show love to one another when we're willing to speak up and speak the truth, I always get some in the congregation who take it on themselves to start confronting people. Sometimes when they themselves have very obvious issues in their own lives, And so they violate Jesus' command not to judge the speck in someone else's eye when all the while you have a beam sticking out of your your forehead. So friends, as we do that, let's remember this. So truth is foundational to life. It's required by love and it must be put into practice. Now I said to you at the beginning that we were going to make some application of this in the political realm. So here it comes. And it will be a grade B miracle if I make it through this entire Ten Commandments series without being injured by someone in the congregation. I know during this time, and I've given you fair warning, beware what I'm going to say. You may need to think about, may even offend. But we live in a political, a politically perilous time in my view. And in many ways, an unprecedented time. And I say what I'm going to say to you as your pastor, who's called to shepherd this flock. And I see a danger here. I see a danger here for our flock. And so I'm doing this from a pastor, pastor's heart in order to warn us together. So I say, we should not believe everything that we hear. We should not believe everything we hear. And we should not believe everything we hear, and that includes in the political realm, and perhaps especially in the political realm, and perhaps especially in today's political realm. Now, we're going to try to get up a couple of very short video clips. One of those is from the late John McCain. All this past week, John McCain who passed away about a week ago, has been honored. Uh, There was a service in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Some of you may have seen some of that. And you've probably perhaps seen this video that I'm going to show, a short clip, of when he was campaigning for president. He was the Republican nominee for president in 2008. It was the summer of 2008. He was badly behind in the polls. He needed all the help he could get. It would have been very easy for him to succumb to some of the darker sides that were lurking within the Republican Party at that time and have now come to full fruition. But I want to show you this video clip to see how he handled it. So if we have that, guys. And uh, frankly, we're, we're scared. Um, we're scared of an Obama presidency. 
First of all, I want to be president of the United States, and obviously I do not want Senator Obama to be. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, he is a decent person and a person that you do not have to be scared as president of the United States. Now, I, I just, now I just, now, now look, I, I, if I didn't think I wouldn't be one heck of a lot better president, I wouldn't be running, okay? And that's the point. That's, that's the point. Um, I gotta ask you a question. I do not, uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I don't know if you could hear all of that, but uh, the gentleman said, I'm afraid of Obama. You don't need to be afraid, he said. But then the woman said, he's an Arab. And McCain took the microphone from her and said, no, that's not correct. That's not right. Now, he could have played into that. As I say, he needed all the help he could get, but he refused to. Here's the contrast. Amen. Okay. We problem in this country. It's called Muslims. We know our current president is one. Right. You know he's not even an American. We need this first question. This man. First question. But anyway, we have training camps growing where they want to kill us. Mm -hmm. That's my question. When can we get rid of We're going to be looking at a lot of different things. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that, and a lot of people are saying that bad things are happening out there. We're going to be looking at that and plenty of other things. Okay. Go ahead. So the man says that uh, we know our current president, that would be Obama, is a Muslim. And candidate Trump says nothing about that false statement. He tolerated the false suggestion that President Obama is a Muslim. Now, we'll see why he did that in a bit. But I'll say now that it's a demonstrable lie, and it should have been refuted just as John McCain did. Now, friends, most politicians lie at some point, as all people lie. All people lie at some point. Probably every politician has lied when a position or a policy of his or hers turns out to be wrong or unworkable or some un embarrassing bit of news comes out about them. PolitiFact is a service that monitors truth and lies from politicians. And in the year 2013, they awarded their lie of the year to President Obama, who said... Infamously, if you like your health plan, you can keep it, which turned out not to be true. Someone has said this. In fact, someone I respect, uh, one of my former seminary professors, not Dr. Combs, said this. There probably never has been a more corrupt and lying administration in Washington, D.C. than we have today. We've never had a more venal, corrupt, lying administration. It's not just that the president lies, it's that he's a pathological liar, and it seems like we never know what is the truth when he speaks. Now, he said that a little over 20 years ago. He was not talking about Donald Trump, he was talking about Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a notorious prevaricator 
who would twist words in Orwellian fashion. He's infamous for saying under oath when questioned about whether he's having an affair with a young intern in his administration, he replied, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. When he ran for president, he was confronted with the fact that he smoked marijuana in college. He said, quote, I tried it once, I didn't like it, and I didn't inhale. As bad as he was, and he was bad, his wife took lying to a new level, going back to when she was first lady, and she explained that she made $100,000 from a $1,000 investment just because of beginner's luck. She'd never invested, but she hit the jackpot the very first time. Now, I can't say for sure that's a lie, but I think it is. And I can say for sure that it was a lie when, as Secretary of State, she told the American people that the Benghazi attack that killed four Americans in Libya was due to a video that inflamed Muslim anger in that part of the world. We know that's a lie because we've since seen her emails to her daughter and to others on that very night saying that it was a planned attack on our embassy in Benghazi. Speaking of emails, she lied repeatedly during the campaign of 2016 about her email server and whether she had ever used classified emails in an inappropriate and even illegal fashion. Many believe, and I include myself among them, that she should have been charged for the crime of misuse of classified material. And in fact, even now, there's a Justice Department investigation going on to determine why she was not. I'll be interested to see the results of that. In the 90s, when Hillary Clinton was first lady, the late New York Times columnist, notice New York Times columnist, William Sapphire famously referred to her as a, quote, congenital liar. And I personally would not disagree with that. Now, having said that, that perhaps all politicians have lied at some point, and some lie a lot, this president is different. President Trump has taken, taken lying to a whole new level. He's made a policy. As of day 558 of his presidency, which was just a month ago, According to a service that monitors politicians for whether they're telling the truth, he's made 4,229 Trumpian claims. That's an average of nearly 7.6 claims a day. 7.6 claims a day. Now, this particular service called Fact Checker that I'm quoting is a service of the Washington post. They assign Pinocchios depending on the severity or how blatant the lie is. Now, if you don't trust the Washington Post to get all of its facts checking right, then cut their total of about seven and a half lies every day in half. Okay, four a day. Okay, cut that in half. Two a day. Okay, cut that in half again. He lies every single day, at least once. In terms of his lies in the political realm, it began for Donald Trump in 2011 when he was seriously thinking about running for president that following year. He became the leading spokesman for a pernicious lie about then-President Obama suggesting that Obama was not born in the United States. He spread that lie for five full years, and he did not retract it until 2016 during the presidential campaign. By that time, he had won over people who wanted to believe the worst about Obama, that he's a subversive person who will destroy America, like the comments of that man that we saw in the video. 
have more to say about our current president's uneasy relationship with the truth in a bit. For now, let me say, friends, the Internet is full of claims that are unproven and malicious. And you must, friends, you must be very careful about believing what you hear. For example, Alex Jones runs a far-right Internet site called InfoWars. And he has a radio program where he spews his belief in various conspiracy theories, like the United States government actually blew up the Twin Towers on 9-11. Not 19 terrorists, but instead it was our own government, says he. He claims that prominent Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, are running a global pedophile ring. And that one of the places that that ring operates is a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. One guy in North Carolina heard that unbelievable story, but he believed it. And so he traveled from his home in North Carolina to the site of the so-called Pizzagate ring to investigate. And he fired three shots with his rifle while inside the building. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Alex Jones believes not only is there a worldwide pedophile ring led by prominent Democrat Democratic Party officials... Not only was the 9-11 disaster something our government did, but the government faked other tragedies as well. The Oklahoma City bombing in 95, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in 2012, and the Boston Marathon bombing the following year. All of them were inside jobs secretly perpetrated by the government to increase its power and in some cases, he believes, to seize guns from law-abiding citizens. Jones believes that no one was actually hurt at Sandy Hook. Those were actors. And that the Apollo 11 moon landing footage was faked. Alex Jones says, he says himself, 90% of his audience are Trump supporters. So what does our now president think about Alex Jones? Does he denounce him? No, in fact, he's been a guest on his radio show. And called him, quote, amazing. He said to Alex Jones when on his show during the presidential campaign, quote, your reputation is amazing and I will not let you down. Now, while the president lies incessantly and gives support to the worst liars on the Internet. At the same time, he's denouncing legitimate news sources as fake and even calling the press the, quote, enemy of the people. Now, I, for one, agree that in general, the mainstream news media is liberal and it's slant on the news. And it has been going back to at least as long as I've been an adult back to the Reagan administration. So having a healthy skepticism of claims of the press and especially those reports based on anonymous sources, I think is fine and even prudent. Hear this, friends. But being discerning is not the same as being dismissive. We're now in a situation in which the president has so often denounced the press going back to his campaign that many of his supporters won't believe facts simply because they're supplied by the media or members of the so-called deep state. That's a supposed cabal of rogue government officials who are looking to take the president down. He's insulating himself now from what may be for him very bad news in the future. By convincing his followers that whatever negative stories come out about him can be dismissed as the lies of the media and the work of the deep state, all the while lying himself at a rate never even approached by any president of the United States in my lifetime, and that includes Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. The president's campaign is being investigated, as most of you know, for conspiracy with the Russian government to help him get elected. We'll see what the conclusion of that investigation is. 
I make no prediction here. But the president has called it a witch hunt over and over and over again. A witch hunt carried out by what he calls 17 angry Democrats who are out to get him, though he's done nothing wrong. As I said, we'll see about whether he's done anything wrong. But for now, let's take the claim that this investigation is run by 17 angry Democrats. Earlier this year, I had breakfast with a dear brother in the Lord, an older gentleman whose walk with Christ I respect deeply. Something happened in the news that day. I don't remember what it was. We were talking about the investigation, and he immediately began parroting what the president's been saying, using the very words witch hunt, and saying the investigation is led by supporters of Hillary Clinton. I asked him if he knew this, and I ask you if you knew this. I asked him if he knew the political affiliation of Robert Mueller, who's the special counsel appointed by the United States Justice Department to look into this matter. He was certain Mueller was a Democrat because, as it turns out, he gets his news from only one source, a so-called news channel on cable. He was shocked to hear, and at first thought I was mistaken, when I told him that Robert Mueller is a lifelong Republican. Not only that, the man in the Justice Department who appointed Mueller, Rod Rosenstein, is also a Republican. Rosenstein was nominated for his position to Deputy Attorney General by President Trump himself. The head of the FBI is likewise a Republican appointed by President Trump himself. Friends, I just named the people in charge of this investigation. All of the people in charge of the investigation are Republicans And so Republicans control this investigation. Now, my friend pointed out correctly that there was at least one FBI agent on the investigation who had been discovered to have extreme bias and even animosity toward the president. But I told him that was discovered by the Justice Department itself and its inspector general. And the text messages that showed it were given to Robert Mueller. And Mueller immediately removed him from the investigation. That man, some of you know that's name, Peter Strzok, worked for Mueller for a month, one month. And he's since been fired from his job with the FBI. Now, while it's true that several of the investigators working for Mueller are Democrats, not all of them are, as the president falsely claims. And in any case, they're supervised by people from the president's own party, some of whom were appointed by the president himself. The president has a so-called news channel at Fox that he loves because it says all the things he claims. I recommend that you diversify your news sources so that you can see a fuller picture and make an informed decision rather than being fed a steady diet of commentary that's an expansion of the president's daily tweets. Now, friends, I spend this time because I'm afraid that some of us have been persuaded to dismiss facts only to listen to one side and so run the considerable risk of believing falsehoods to be true. So don't believe everything you hear, especially on the Internet or, I'm sorry to say, on the president's Twitter account. And I say, lastly for today, do not tell everything you hear. Do not believe it and do not tell everything you hear. Now, I mentioned earlier that Donald Trump made the claim for years that President Obama was not born in this country. Many of you have heard that. I don't know if I've ever heard any of you say that. I I have to tell you, I wonder whether any of you have ever said that's true. It's not true. 
He was born in Hawaii, as evidenced by the birth announcement in a local newspaper in 1961. That would have to be quite a conspiracy to have a newspaper announce the birth of a child in 1961. All of it is part of a ruse to allow him to be president decades later, even though he was really born in Kenya. His father, who died when Obama was two, was born in Kenya, but Barack Obama was born in the United States. Not only is it claimed that Barack Obama was not born in this country, a lie led by our current president, but it's also claimed by many that he's a closet Muslim. Various polls show different results on this question, but they consistently say that over 40% of Republicans believe he's a Muslim. If you've ever said that, you're spreading something false. There is no evidence whatsoever that the former president is a Muslim. He's attended churches at least his entire adult life. Now, very, very liberal churches to be sure, but churches, not mosques. So, friends, we are people of truth, are we not? Whatever our politics, we all have an obligation to be discerning regarding what we hear and certainly to never represent something to be true that we do not know to be fact, whether about Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Robert Mueller or your co-worker or your relative or your brother or sister at church. So I'm calling us to truth. I'm calling us to discernment. We live in a perilous time for the reasons I gave. Next week, we'll look at how that applies to interpersonal relationships. We need God's help with this, so let's ask him to give that help. Let's bow together. Our Father, our God of truth, thank you for giving us the spirit of truth. But Lord, help us to act on it. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to never, never be frivolous with our words. Oh, Lord God, help us to be insightful in our discernment, careful as we listen, and even more careful as we relate to make sure that what we relate is truth. Lord, we live in this season in which there is so much noise. There's so much coming from the internet and all of the various means of media that we have now. Much of it is untrue. And so, Lord, help us as people of truth to sort out the true from the false, to only make those claims that we know to be true. Lord, I, I ask you to help us with this, not for politics' sake, certainly not, but for the sake of the witness of the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we can only represent you if we represent you truthfully. If we represent you as people of truth who have been transformed by the God of truth. That means then in our interactions, in every realm of life, including politics. Help me to do that. Help us to do that. Help us to do that this week. Bring us back safely next week, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen.